Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this week's episode, in the red corner... Clash Potters, come out to play, yay! Yes, we're taking you back to a time when guys could wear leather waistcoats with nothing underneath and not be in the Magic Mike stage show. It's from 1979, and it's the Warriors. These are the armies of the night. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? And these are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now, they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety, stand 20,000 cops. While in the blue corner. So, your hairdresser gave you a mullet without you realizing. And now you want to take attention away from it. Why not try a vest top and an eye patch and call yourself Snake from 1981? We're trying to escape from New York. It's not the future we wanted, but the future that happened. Once a great city, now a high security prison designed to keep society's criminals in. But now, everything rides on getting one person out. The survival of the human race, Briscoe. Something you don't give a shit about. Kurt Russell stars as Snake Plissken in John Carpenter's science fiction action classic, Escape from New York. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles! The Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. You think the orphans ain't with it? You think the orphans ain't known? I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Good. 
Mm. Look very summery, Chris. I like this. It's like nice pastel-y short sleeve shirt you've got on. Yeah, sun's out, guns are coming out. Mm. Love it. Uh, Victoria and I uh, are dressed identically today, uh, which is uncomfortable. We've taken them off now, but we're both okay. wearing black jeans and stonewashed denim jackets. Because <laughs> clearly you aren't as I'm looking at you, so no. that's confusing. Yeah. Thank God. No, and you don't see fashion anyway, do you? You just see people, man. I do. I mean, I was weirded out that both your intros were about the fashion, which is its one of the elements of the, both these films, but not the first thing I would think. Okay. Uh, okay. It was late last night. I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie. It's not my proudest moment, those intros, <laughs> but thanks for highlighting them at the start of the show. Appreciate that, Chris. So this week it is The Warriors versus Escape from New York. These are Christopher's choices. How come? Lots of people <laughs> suggested this pairing uh, on Twitter when I posted a picture of my Escape from New York Blu-ray. So thank you, everyone, on Twitter. I don't have everyone's name from that. But in March, Matthew T suggested uh, this pairing by emailing this connection. Um, he says, fighting your way out of the Big Apple against retro-futuristic gangs. Um, but I just love both these films. Okay. I wanted to do them. I also wanted to do it because I feel like it's about time John Carpenter got his due on this podcast as we don't talk about him <laughs> nearly enough. Yeah. I thought you were playing some sort of weird, oh, I've got a new game that Chris is going to play on his own and then I'm going to tell everyone about it, which is not only connect the movies on one week, but connect both movies to last week's movies. So mm. we've got the Kurt Russell connection from last week and we obviously have. bloody Walter Hill as well. A lot going on. A and, lot. and a lot in coming up stuff as well. We've got all connections. <sighs> we've interconnected a lot of stuff. But no, I mean, come on. It's John Carpenter, who might be my favourite carpenter with the initials JC. It's weird how much I look forward to a John Carpenter podcast. Really do. It it's because he's ma- it's because he's magic. Mm. It's because he doesn't do the generic stuff we did last week, which was two directors just doing the very basic. He does something new with the genres. I won't lie. When that synth score kicked in at the start of Escape from New York, it was like a warm rush of water washing over me as I lay on my sofa, breathing in. It was like John Carpenter leaning over me breathing on the back of my neck, going, you're safe now. That's why it's so exciting watching him live now he does his music, because mm. he doesn't really do anything on stage apart from stand in front of a, a keyboard and ever so slightly shuffle. <laughs> but it's just exciting hearing the music and you've got the imagery from the films behind him on a screen and then him just wiggling his bum a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I'd pay to see that. So what was your clue on last week's show, Chris? Oh, uh, it was if, if you, you can, can if you can if you can survive the night yeah. there you can make it anywhere. Uh, yeah, that's close enough. Yep, and then you followed that up on Twitter with something to do with gangs in New York. Fair enough. So the guest is ganged up on our Twitter. We are at Clash Pod. We're also on Instagram at Clash Pod. Uh, just the right answers this week. Congratulations to James Ozipu. He says the Warriors versus Escape from New York would be epic. Please say it so. Also getting it right. Peter Mahoney, Ian Hughes, Andrew Logan, Gary who says, please be Warriors versus Escape from New York. But the winner this week is... Gary! Yay! <laughs> yeah, we're back in the land of Gary. His guest came in at 8.03 on the Monday morning of last week's first episode. I basically think he saw that the title was being taken away from Gary's, so Gary stepped in and now the Gary's have reclaimed their crown. Well done, Gary, Gary, and Gary. You're the best. Connections. What you got? Well, you just mentioned the score, electronic scores that are pretty much interchangeable in these films, I'd say. Mm. Uh, use, even though they're set in the future, using fire to scare people like they're animals. 
Oh, yeah, so name the, the moments. So the orphans, um, the worries blow up a car and the orphans scatter. <laughs> the, the, orphans, like the, the orphans are weirdly frightened of a Molotov cocktail that yeah. hasn't gone that near them. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> like it. But they are wimps. They do say they're wimps and they turn out. And yeah, they've never the seen fire. <laughs> yeah. And the cabbie lobs a Molotov cocktail down an alleyway to mm. scare someone away. True that. True that. Uh, famous opening scenes that were rightly cut. I only know the Escape from New York one because Warriors wasn't my film. Are you going to do it, V, or can Chris tell me now? I didn't know it was a full six. Go on, you do it. Well, no, we'll do it when we get to the movie. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Okay. We might not. Well, I mean, it's Vicky's movie, so... <laughs> yeah. We'll you... see see how I feel. Are you prepped, Chris, in case Vicky doesn't uh, doesn't know it? Yeah, I mean, we all would have watched the famous cut opening scene from the Warriors, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> uh, using public transport in New York... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's quite interesting that, well, I say quite interesting. I think it's vaguely, I mean, if you've got nothing to do, then this fact is sort of there. It's a uh, cabbie is obviously a cab. And then you've got the bloody trains, the subway. Sure. A lot of catching trains in the world. They've both got yeah. modes of transport in them. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> um, this is more thematic, but I feel like these both reflect the hell that was New York in oh the 1970s. God, New York, terrible place for an all-nighter. It is hell. Because you had Son of Sam killing people for about a year. You had the blackouts. You had looting. You had riots. You had the police losing their powers. And it spawned quite a lot of movies, including yes. these two. But you had Taxi Driver, Death Wish. You had a bunch of slasher films set on the streets mm. of New York. And and both these films, are, although they're set in the future, they're a reflection of what was happening in New York at the time, which was not good. Mm-hmm. Say what you like about Giuliani, and you're absolutely right to... He did clean up that city. <laughs> did do one good thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. got. All right, then. Great stuff. Uh, let's crack into this. So on Thursday, I'm going to be breaking us out of Manhattan Island and escape from New York. But today, Victoria is ganging up on us. V takes on a journey. You know what it's like. You're on a night out with your mates uptown when you're falsely accused of murdering the warlord of the Gramercy Rifts and you chase back home by the Turnbull AC some orphans and baseball furies. At least that's what happens to the Warriors as they're pursued across New York City after dark by rival gangs in revenge for the assassination of Cyrus, picking up mercy along the way, principally to slut shamer. But it was a different time. It was the future. And getting invited to almost the best house party ever, courtesy of the Lizzies, before the Lizzies tried to kill them. Making it back to Coney Island at daybreak, they are confronted by Luther, resplendent with bottle fingers, before the Riffs arrive to break up the fight and say, hey, sorry about setting blood-hungry hordes to hunt you down all night. Classic misunderstanding. We know it was Luther all along. Our bad. And the gang stroll away down the beach as the sun rises. Who fancies a bacon sandwich? Cracking synopsis. <laughs> that is a cracking synopsis. Thanks, Chris. So I'd never seen this film. Oh, before. lovely, no. lovely jubbly, <laughs> yeah. lovely jubbly. I'd never even heard of it. What? I've got to be honest. No, I've never heard of it. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a, a wild ride. Mm. I'll go next. Never seen it before. This is the first watch <laughs> for me. What? You're joking. Can you believe that? No way. That makes me really happy. Of course it I'm does. I'm so excited of to hear what does. you've got to say. Yeah, because and also makes you the daddy of the show. It makes you go, well, let me tell you, children, a little bit about this film. <laughs> no, I don't have a huge history with it. I saw it when I was about 15 and thought it was super cool and really enjoyed it. And I've probably seen it a couple of times since. Because it, it is for people, well, you know, that generation then, because this is a movie 
that uh, there were kids at my school. I just I just missed the window. And I have this real pride thing where if I miss the window of a movie and everyone knows about it, I sort of dig my heels in and rather than go, I better watch that so mm. I can join in with, Warriors come out to play. I just go, no. No, I'm watching not something else. Me, not, yeah. not doing that, so it, that's it, not fun. It had this awesome poster, but I found it kind of frightening when I was a kid, that poster in the video store. So I think that put me off it early days. Mm. Um, what, was this, what was the poster? It's it's just sort of it's sort of an illustration of a diff, bunch of different gang members. But the Baseball Fury guy is, is, all, is sort of second to front, and he looks particularly weird and scary. Like It just seemed like this was a freak show of a movie, which isn't really... I mean, maybe it is, but it's... I mean, the Baseball Furies aren't as frightening in the movie as they were to me on that poster. <laughs> no, they're rubbish in the movie. I mean, that bit where he just goes, oh, can we stop running and just kick these guys in? It's, it's like, well, oh, please okay. stop running. Yeah. Please do some fighting. If the baseball bat is your weapon of choice, you should know how to use it. <laughs> oh, shit, there's another connection. Baseball bats as weapons. Yes, very good. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, let's all forget about the public transport connection. <laughs> Would you like to um, go through the, the full oral history? No, I'm just kidding. A little bit of history of the film. Lovely. I say that because I did lift uh, 99, no, 100% of this from a 2005 article in The Fader, which does do a full oral history. And if you like The Warriors, I would highly recommend it because it goes into a lot of detail with a lot of the cast, the director, the writer of the book about making this film and like what a nuts experience it was, like filming in New York and paying off real life gangs so that they could shoot where they needed to shoot. And then sometimes people weren't paid off and they couldn't film down certain alleys because people were being murdered, etc. So it's just sound, you know, fun. Wow, that's crazy. I was reading about the making of The Godfather recently and there was a similar thing with that where they had to just basically convince the mafia families that uh, they were okay and this movie was going to be, you know... A PR exercise. <laughs> I guess so. It's going to make them look pretty cool and people are going to go, well, the mafia don't seem that bad anymore. It's a family thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? And... Um, and in the end, like it all, it all worked out. The mafia were like, "Anything you need, just call us." Uh, but for a while, it was like this might not get made. Yeah, so it's a bit like that. Mm. Uh, okay, so writer director Walter Hill, he was going to do a western with Roger Spottiswood. Roger Spottiswood, who would then later work with Walter Hill on Forty Eight Hours. The financing fell away, so they're in a bit of a scramble with Paramount. Um, they he knew Lawrence Gordon, who produced it, knew that Paramount were interested in youth movies, so they take the book The Warriors by Sol Urich. Hilariously, this article I'm talking about does like I'm not going to do it justice, but Sol Urich is like not my best book. I wrote it in three weeks. <laughs> so he's, he's quite dismissive about the the IP, if you will. Man, I'd love to write something in three weeks. Yeah, a well, book. But he was essentially doing an adaptation, wasn't he? He was. So it's an adaptation of the Greek tale of Anabasis by Xenophon. Do either of you know this? No, I'd never heard of this, obviously. Uh, but it narrates the expedition, thanks Wikipedia, of a large army of Greek mercenaries hired by Cyrus the Younger, mm. interesting, to uh, help seize the throne of Persia. Um, that's it. So it's this huge, sprawling epic where they march across uh, Greece. Is there a lot of getting on and off boats in it? Probably. Well, the idea is that they know they've succeeded at the end when they that when they get to water, when they reach water, which is what happens in the Warriors as well. Once they oh, once they hit nice. the beach, so thematically yeah. they 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 do have the same ending. Right. And it was supposed to be. Um, uh, did you? Does it say it's in the article about Orson Welles? Yeah, that's the bit. That's the. Is that not the deleted scene that you're talking about? No, no. They've got footage, but they never got his voice. It, they, they were gonna. The, it, one of the scenes it was gonna start with was pictures, drawings of this Greek scene with with the words underneath saying, "Over two millenniums ago, an army of Greek soldiers find themselves isolated in the middle of the Persian Empire." And Orson Welles was going to narrate that because he'd worked 
with uh, Larry Gordon on something, but that fell through. And it would have been a weird way to open the film yeah. to talk about this other story. Yeah. It's not necessary. Yeah, so in this... Do you, do you think... I'm a real sucker for when a movie goes, uh, this is based on some Greek mythology. I'm like, well, there you go. How about this? <laughs> but this I, is not just a movie, but this is history. I'm learning and enjoying. But I like the fact they're building their own mythology this way. It's this urban adventure. Because, and then you don't just see them as, as Greek warriors. I sort of see them as knights almost on a quest mm-hmm. against these other groups of knights. I think it's better to, t- to take what you want from it rather than have it have be told. I'm unsure. The Walter Hill also said, so apart from Orson Welles, the, the narrated intro, which got dropped, he was also going to have um, a title card that said sometime in the future before the film starts. Mm. So uh, that was dropped as well. That would, I, I do like that too. Mm. Yeah. I think that would have been great because it, there are moments in this where you go, where are we? What's this? Yeah. Uh, Walter Hill said, the great minds at the studio thought that was too much like Star Wars. I thought the movie was close to being incomprehensible without that because it always seemed to me to be a science fiction movie. Yeah, it, there's a bit where it's like there's a, a giant armed bus patrolling the streets and you're like, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, New York was rough, but the police would go, get that off the road. <laughs> uh, so casting in the book, uh, this is according to Sol Urich, so I'm quoting, in the book there is practically nobody in there who is white. And then Walter Hill was saying that Paramount wasn't, his words, too high on the idea of an all-black cast, as they explained, for commercial reasons. I mean, you know, make of that what you will. So the casting uh, expanded. You, like They went to New York, they got all the kids at the time that were up and coming to audition for all these roles. Um, you'll like this, mm, Alex. So Michael Beck, who plays Swan, was in a film called Mad Men, Walter Hill, being a producer on Alien, saw Madman and was watching it for Sigourney Weaver because she's in that. So saw Michael Beck in that and then got him to read for Swan because of that film. All right. Have you seen Madman? I haven't. No. It's no. a very strange sounding film. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. It's, this, it's an Israeli film about a prisoner of war, but I'm quite intrigued now because a lot of the actors in it ended up doing stuff. Okay. Uh, and then there's a, a, a quite a well-known story about Thomas G. Waits, who's Fox in the film. Mm. So Fox who ends up getting pushed under a train. The, I mean, we're going to get in. What the fuck is that moment? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. What the fuck that is, is that his, that's him being fired. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> I knew this. It's really bad. I knew yeah. there had to be a reason, yeah. but what's the reason? Wait. No, that's the reason. So Thomas G. Waits in this Fader article says, I was let go about eight weeks into it, which was entirely my responsibility. I was sort of difficult and the time uh, I probably gave the director a little more trouble than I was worth I was supposed to be in it all the way through he was supposed to have the romance such as it is with Mercy mm. uh, but Walter let me go which I don't blame him for so he took he wanted his name off it so once he got fired he was like I don't want anything to do with it mm. he's spoken about it a bit more since that article and um, he, they said the two would clash over dialogue the, the the arc of the story the way the shots were being framed and he started sneaking off sets to get high and then come back stoned and belligerent. But also something that he spoke, I saw him talking about, I might post this video as well on our Twitter. He says that it, it, he was unhappy about their, because he was almost like the leader of the gang. He was unhappy with the circumstances. They only had one trailer and it was very hot and there was 10 of them having to change there. But rather than speak to his agent, he went directly to the Screen Actors Guild himself and right. reported Walter Hill. Cool. That was your point of no return. 
And so Walter Hill turned to his stunt coordinator and said, you have to come up with a way to kill this guy because I don't want him in the movie anymore. (laughs) And so they just they just murdered him. him They threw him under a train and rewrote the whole film. It's just it's mad because there's then stuff that doesn't quite make sense. I mean, they kind of get away with it, but you obviously have questions because it seems odd. Yeah. And and yeah, if characters sort of disappear or, or don't don't have the arc that they seem to be setting up early on in proceedings. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the guy we're talking about. That's Windows from the thing. He's the guy who plays Windows yeah. in the thing. Yeah. Okay. That's how I recognised him. That's why I noticed that he'd gone because there are characters that disappear. I'm like, eh, whatever. But I was like, hey, it's the guy from the thing, and then he's gone. Yeah. Because he was difficult. He said mm-hmm. he was um, unnecessarily argumentative, which mm-hmm. might be something that you. He teaches acting understand. now. <laughs> he teaches acting now, and he says, "I do tell my students just I tell them everything I did, so they won't do it." Don't do that. <laughs> so I've got other stuff from the article which I can drop in throughout. Um, so unless there's anything else, team, I have uh, an exciting bit of trivia. We have our first nine movie man involved with this film. Uh, it's not James Horner, is it? It's not. It's not. It's not a mu- musical person this time. Okay. It is Mr. Frank Marshall. No. It's the ninth uh, Clash Pod film he's produced. Gremlins, Goonies, Young Sherlock Holmes, Inner Space, Gremlins 2, Hook, Congo, Sixth Sense, and now The Warriors. What a busy man. And there might be some more Frank Marshall coming very soon. Yeah, I reckon so. (laughs) You can't wait to do that announcement, can you? (laughs) He's exciting. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the film. Um, And obviously, just, you know, you'll have to excuse my... Yeah, this is the first time I've seen this film. So imagine me at the, you know, going through this. Um, <laughs> what's, what's that? Mean? I don't understand. What does that mean? I don't need to imagine you going through it because you're you. about to go through it. Okay, fine. So we meet the warriors. Oh, can what? I interject? <laughs> no, because because it's this alternate opening. Oh yeah, yeah. So there is a five minute um, sequence that they shot to open the film, and it's on the boardwalk in Coney Island. It's daylight, and our uh, Cleon is sitting. Um, the African-American leader of the Warriors. He's sitting on a bench. His girlfriend comes over, says, I don't want you going. I'm worried about this. This doesn't sound right. Uh, Cleon says, I don't care. I'm going. Yeah. I'm a warrior. We're going to go. And then they, uh, he stands in front of all the Warriors and they have like a meeting on the boardwalk. And they talk about the fact they're a street family of 120, the Warriors. But these nine have been chosen. He gives each one their role. Uh, we see Swan made second in command war chief at that point. Um, and Ajax becomes just a soldier and Ajax starts complaining and uh, Cleon says, try and keep your mouth shut because obviously that stuff comes back. And that was in the film. And then at test screenings, um, well, it wasn't test screenings. It was more the studio saying and the editor saying um, it shouldn't start in daylight. This is a nighttime movie. It takes you out of the film a bit that it goes from daylight to night. Let's start at night, carry on. And then the only daylight we get is at the conclusion. And so that's, that what what he ended up doing was shooting those little inserts that you're about to talk about while they're doing the train journey. Yeah. So it's very different. I quite like the sound of it. I'm sorry. I it's quite really, like it. It establishes everything very well, but I can see, I can kind of see the point. And, and there's that forward motion of that train journey as well gets you into it much quicker. I think what I'm, what I missed was the, uh, you, you know, at the start of any film, you are allowed an exposition dump. So it would have been good to have that sort of exposition, even if you've got the forward motion, the literal forward motion and the energy of them going to the Bronx. Sure. It's the exposition. And it's also just a little bit of character setup, understanding relationships. Cause I, I felt, I felt myself sort of having to learn on the fly who everyone was. Mm. And I could have done with just a little bit like, this is who this guy is. So there you go. Follow that. 
Or like I love the stylized sequence of getting to the Bronx. It was it is really good fun. But you don't they're called the Warriors and I didn't see them doing any warring. They were just like kids. So maybe if there'd been like a setup where you can get a lot of character over in a fight, that would have that would have done it for me as well. Yeah, I quite like that though, because I was waiting to see why they were called the Warriors. Yeah. I quite like the slow build. It's like, are they actually any good? Oh yeah, they are gonna fight in take that baseball <laughs> furies. So they're off to the Bronx to have like a gang meetup with no weapons and they're gonna talk talk with Cyrus, who is the leader of the Rifts, the biggest gang in the city. So then Sol Uric in this interview says, I thought the speed with which we got to the meeting was terrific, but once Cyrus made his speech, it all fell apart because the guy was terrible, which oh. I didn't see. I thought he oh, was really good. My God. He is fantastic. He's good, yeah. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Do you know who I think watched that speech before giving his famous speech in Zion? Lawrence Fishburne. It reminded me a lot of the big Zion speech for 100 years. (laughs) Uh, It made me think of Obama a bit as well. The can you dig it? It's a bit like, yes, we can. Yeah. In the way he would the way he would say that. I was distracted by the fact that I've always uh, wondered where that sample came from. Uh, I was massively into a band called Popoli itself as a kid. They had a song called Can You Dig It? I'd never seen the Warriors because I dug my heels in. And then I'm like, oh, my God, can you dig it? And it's also the sample at the start of that song. Let's get down to it, boppers. That's how that song starts. PWEI, Popoli itself, my favourite band as a kid. Clint Mansell obviously went on to have a huge career in Hollywood Mm. from the lead singer of Popoli itself doing all Darren Aronofsky's movies. I do think the Cyrus speech is good. I think the way that he makes all the gang kids like aware of their power. So he's like, there's 60,000 of us, there's 20,000 cops. New York is their turf. It would have been amazing for me as as a first time, first time viewer, that why they think New York is theirs because these are a multi-ethnic group of people. There are no women there, but we'll get onto that obviously a bit later. But if all the gangs are sort of multiple ethnicities, it's not necessarily like an equal rights thing as it would be in a speech like that. So why do they believe that New York is theirs? Like what is their uniting thread that he's trying to pull on to say we can do this together? Does that make sense? Like what's that? Sorry, what's their ideological justification for grabbing New York the way that they intend to? Is yeah. it not just because New York's completely broken, so there's an opportunity there? So it's like and, the haves and, and, and the have-nots kind of thing. Yeah, and the, and the fact that they outnumber the police three to one. Although I, I've, I don't think his maths works out in this scene. He does a lot of numbers here. Yeah. And I'm not sure they all work out. But the fact that they outnumber the police three to one makes... I mean, why wouldn't you just take charge because these are, these are also hardened criminals we don't see a huge amount of that and the warriors are quite heroic but yeah. these, these are bad people I suppose if it's just it's really basic but if you said they have everything and we have nothing so yeah. now we're going to take their everything I'll be like oh okay I get yep. it but, um, so Walter Hill wanted real gang members in the scene which was filmed in Riverside Park um, and they had off-duty police officers so there were gang members in there and obviously there's all the cast but they had off-duty police officers to make sure that nothing bad happened although apparently there were quite a lot of fights Mm. Just you know, well, this it's it's weird because it's the second scene in the movie. This is the biggest scene in the movie. It's the most expensive scene in the movie. It's the most complicated scene in the movie, and it's all up front. Mm. Looks good though. Yeah, it does. It looks really good. Yeah, I'm just disappointed that we in in the run up to it, we saw a lot of different groups of of gangs, and we saw the mimes, but we never never see the mimes Imagine again. Imagine my surprise! It's like <laughs> fucking mimes. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know more about the mimes. I mean, it would be fun because they'd be like silent assassins like yeah. you never hear them coming but when there's no one else around do they are they still silent with each other I think other? they probably are yeah 
true method. So let's talk about David Patrick Kelly, my actual boyfriend. Um, what? From... Well, this, this, well, this came up when when I think I said I said he's best known for the Warriors uh, when he was in a previous film, and you went, "No, he's best known for for I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure he's better known. There for ain't Commando. no coming back. Commando. What? Yeah, whatever. Commando. Commando. Yeah, Commando. Commando. Yeah, Commando. He, he said you'd kill me last, Matrix. <laughs> he's definitely best known for this. No, though. even though the film no. isn't as famous. No, this is this is this is fascinating though. So this is where I was like, okay, um, is the like is this how it's is this how it works that someone just goes, it was them what did it, yeah, and that sets everything in motion. Yep. He just he just goes, he just it was the Warriors, yeah, the Warriors. Yeah. Right, that's stupid. So he frames it's, them to turn everyone against them. He doesn't frame them. Well, no, Go, he doesn't really frame them. He just points at them. Yeah, framing requires some sort of like, I got a plan here, guys. I don't. I want to kill him, and I don't want us to get done for it. So I'm going to make it look like the Warriors did it. But there's none of that. He just goes, it was. They did it. He's, a, he's insane and he's opportunistic, and I think it works. Well, um, the energy he was bringing to his character of Luther, um, Walter Hill told him, you're Richard III. <laughs> so he yeah. said that's what he tried to do. He was reading uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn and Jean-Paul Sartre's, uh, Sartre's Nausea for the kind of existential epiphany that Luther's got going on in there. I mean, you have to love David Patrick Kelly a I lot. Do. I and do. He, and he did that thing, you, you often hear this in films, but he didn't speak to any of the warriors at any point no, during the shoot. he's their enemy. Smart kid. He's a frightening man. Mm. Yeah, he is. He's good, but are you happy with him? Are you, uh, Victoria... Are you happy with him just going, they did it, it was the Warriors, and that's that's okay? Well, because there's so much else going on. That, first of all, what the fuck is a baseball fury? Mm. My mind is still racing from that. And right. also, mime gangs. So a man pointing a finger at someone. But surely, if you're going to frame someone, you frame the mimes because they can't tell you that they didn't God, do that's it. that's such a good point. I mean, second plot point, not to be too pernickety, but the Warriors are like, oh, heck, everyone thinks we've done it. Why don't you just take off those waistcoats and go home? Because there are a lot of boys around. You will blend in, no problem. But everyone knows you're the Warriors because you've got waistcoats on that say the Warriors. You can't, you can't. They make it very clear they can't take Yeah, but later, the they off. do that with the orphans. But at sure. this point in the film, you're like, just take the waistcoat off. I think it's a matter of honour. They could, It would be cowardly for them to take off their, their uniforms and go home with their tails between them. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that they don't know. Do they know at that point? that a li- that's, that's a good plot point. Later on, when they meet the Lizzies, that's when they realise. Yeah, but yeah. that's daft. I just ignored that. I was like, what What do you think <laughs> is going on? So I just chose to ignore that point. Okay. Because it makes no sense otherwise. And I don't want to pull at that thread too much because I want to like it. Right. But it's otherwise it's really stupid. So they need to get home without being killed by some guys in fatigue, some guys in dungarees, some skinheads, some baseball furies. And then they they, they can get the train, which I'll come back to because I'm, I'm not mad about that. They're rushed by a bus at this point that for some reason can't accelerate faster than a man can run. And also when you're rushed by a bus... You do not run down the middle of the road. You just veer left or oh, right. Yeah, Use like, a lamppost to put zigzag, it between you yeah. and the bus. Yeah, exactly. I wrote, I wrote a note saying, how can they outrun that bus? But then there are so many people on top of that bus hanging off the side of it and inside it. I'm, I'm just going to say the bus was going slow. Okay, it was going slow. You're um, right, zigzag. That's how you outrun a bear. And a rhino. Oh, does a rhino do it as well? And an elephant? What does a rhino do? I thought a bear you didn't zigzag. No, you zigzag because a bear follows the path that you've run. Okay. But a bear can run faster than you. Right, which is why when you are being chased by a bear, if you can, what you're take meant to do... Take off your clothes, eh? Take off your clothes. <laughs> sorry. With a polar bear... <laughs> it's embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, God, sorry. I didn't realise <laughs> you were getting changed. 
You take off your clothes and you put them in a pile and then you run because the bear wants to sniff you. So we'll, mm. your scent is on your clothes more than your skin if you're wearing clothes. Mm. If it's not that kind of party. Mm. So the bear will go to your clothes and then gives you time to run away. Okay. Better option that doesn't involve you being naked in the wilderness <laughs> is to run down a hill and then do a very sharp turn and start running back up the hill because the bear will chase you, but it can't turn as fast because that's of the limbs fight. and it just ends up rolling forwards down to the bottom of the hill. I hope that's not made up. But it doesn't. It's just true. Okay. It buys you some time to take your clothes off. <laughs> Which is what you were there for. Right. That's why I'm in the wilderness. <laughs> some me sure? time. Are you sure you didn't see that in a cartoon? Sounds <laughs> <laughs> more like a cartoon than real life. Pretty much where I get all my life advice from. Um, so then Wait, you didn't tell me what a rhino does. You, you it can't run on. very fast because it's too, it's like you said it's too heavy. It can't oh, make so the zigzag turn. Right, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think I don't. Know. Elephant the same. I believe so. Come on, that that was definitely time to move on from that. Combat. I'm going. I'm going on safari. I tell you what. Let's talk that. about this film mm. after a short break. Okay. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This week at Sukarnov. If you're wondering how Ashwood City Football Club dealt with the news of the European Super League, then binge the award-winning mockumentary The Offensive this summer. I think a few of the players are considering taking to social media. No, fucking no. Okay, turn off the fucking Wi-Fi for all I get. Tear down the 4G mark. Patrick, you've got a Zoom call with the other 14 right now. The 14? What? The remaining Premier League clubs. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't want to talk to those fucking losers. Or if you'd rather get stuck into a comedy film podcast, why not check out Clash of the Titles? The podcast where two films with something in common go head-to-head to decide which one is better. Their latest episode saw Red Heat up against Tango and Cash. In both films, I think someone says, where did you learn to drive like that? Which no one ever says in real life. Oh, I had lessons. Uh, but a nice callback. Have you known the you know bars, Matt, are you? How many times did you take to pass? You passed first time. What about your written test? All that... And a whole lot more at Sukarnov. So now we meet the orphans, right? Now, I really liked this because this is their first, unless you count the stuff that happened in Riverside Park, this is their first big confrontation and it's with a group that weren't even on the radar of everyone else. That's such a smart choice, I think. They didn't get invited. They didn't get invited to the party. (laughs) How much fun is that? So to the audience, I think that's such a good idea because you don't know, you you know, you think, well, maybe these guys aren't a threat because they weren't invited, but equally, well, we don't actually know what they're capable of because we don't know anything about them. Mm. Um, But 
the thing that really got me is they're orphans that just want to be loved. Did you not get that? Like oh, they just, yeah, yeah it's really sweet. How so? Because they feel, they're trying to prove themselves and they're like, yeah, we didn't get invited, but it doesn't matter because we're still brilliant <laughs> and they just want approval. That's how I felt about that. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes really clear really quickly why they weren't invited. They're just shite. They're shit and they're a nightmare, yeah. And they're scared of fire. So <laughs> the warriors blow up a car, the orphans react like they've literally never seen fire and they scatter my only gripe at this point was there's not enough fighting. I haven't, there's not been a big fight yet. I was, uh, the thing that I remember from this orphan scene is just like <laughs> Mercy showing up. And oh my God. she is fucking fantastic when she shows up and the way she winds up the orphans mm-hmm. and starts playing them off each other. And it's like, you got to do something. Look at you, you're embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to let them walk right through here. And they're like, oh, oh. God damn it, now we have to prove ourselves. And that chicken sound she makes, she makes a very accurate chicken sound. It is good. I mean, I don't know what her deal is in this film. Like, she gets relentlessly slut-shamed by Swan. Relentlessly. And I think she's tr- isn't she trying to pit the guys against each other because she wants the alpha male and she ends up with the alpha male. Yeah, I think she wants uh, just something. She what's her line? Friday nights are good, Saturday nights are better, which <laughs> is brilliant. Um, I think she just wants excitement and she mm. just wants uh, a laugh. But I don't understand why you need to shame her as vigorously as they do, and it doesn't really. It's it's it takes up like the middle section of the film. A lot of it happens with Ajax doing it as well, and and it's 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 to turn Ajax into a kind of villainous character. But it's pretty ugly. The stuff he says and does to her, the the gay slurs he used towards some of the guys. Oh yeah, that is relentless. Yeah, well. it's it's hard to watch Ajax because he's a good actor. He's an interesting. He's one of the most interesting characters, and then and he ends up with the shittest sort of story. Storyline as well, so it's, yeah. his character's a bit all over the place, really. Does he end up with a shit storyline? Yeah. I, I don't know. I I kind of felt like, wow, that's really good because he is this big character, but he is totally awful at the same time. And to have such an inconsequential end, it kind of like robs him of any big sort of like, whoa, remember when Ajax dies in it or like yeah. disappears or anything? It's like, wow, you just get arrested because you're a real piece well, of I guess shit. He has to pay. I mean, it, that, that's part of the morality of the piece. He has to pay for the way he's behaved and the things he's said and done. I just think his character deserves something a bit more interesting. But if yeah, fair enough. If you think that is the logical sort of storyline he should have. They then do kind of forget about him, though. Yeah. <laughs> never gets yeah, mentioned. No one mentions him Where's again? Ajax No one gone? mentions a lot of people that die or disappear in this well, film. I think yeah. part of that is because of issues with maybe, right. you know, killing someone halfway through the movie, killing one of the actors off. Yeah, so prior to the Central Park scene where Ajax is going to get arrested, we do have the fight in the subway and Fox is just pushed in front of a train. Mm-hmm. Note, you can never look scary in dungarees and roller skates. True. It's just like, whatever that gang is, they are the worst gang in this. <laughs> That's the gang I imagined you to be in. Shut up. <laughs> I would be a, I'd be a baseball skating. fury. I actually wrote down Halloween baseball furies. Oh, I've, so I've been, I've been, I've had friends dressed up as the Halloween furies. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good look. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. I mean, it's a weird combo, isn't it? The, the, the baseball uniform with the kiss makeup. So, but what is it? A fury is a thing, isn't it? What is a fury? It's, isn't it an opera? Someone will know. You two don't know, do you? It's a word word that means angry. No, I know that, (laughs) dickhead. they're the baseball angry. (laughs) No, a fury is a character. Oh, for fuck's sake. No, it's it's in Greek mythology or tragedy. A fury. I know what fury is. Well, then tell the room. 
It's a word that means angry, Victoria. Idiots, by the way. No, it you know, is, I think, it's, but that's what I'm saying. It I think is, they, it is something just... from hell. It's like what it's in the images of hell. Like, does yeah. Hieronymus Bosch paint them? Yeah, uh, probably. And they're sort of feathered gremlin-y creatures yeah. that fly around from hell. I thought they were the part of, of hell. I think we may, we may be going off topic a bit, but I thought you know, like you have a chorus in Greek yep. tragedy. You have the Furies to advance the plot in some way. Yep. But I thought I didn't know they had kiss makeup. <laughs> so. Maybe they do. Maybe they no, don't. No, Furies don't. No. Okay. Um, do you so, want to know? Yeah, a little bit. The Erinyes, E R I N Y E S, also known as the Furies, were female Chthonic deities of vengeance in ancient Greek religion and mythology. A formulaic oath in the Iliad invokes them as the Erinyes that under earth take vengeance on men who hath sworn a false oath. Cool. Mm. I'll join them. That's pretty close. Hell, Hades, death, flying things. Does it mention anything about shoving a bat up your ass and turning you into a popsicle? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a good line. So then we're in Central Park. I got a bit nervous at this point because the baseball furies are chasing the Warriors. I thought, is this film just running and no fighting? But finally... There's a fight. Um, Ajax is a is a fucking lethal weapon. I don't mm-hmm. understand why we've had to wait ages for the first fight. Like, can we fight someone? Chop or oh, you're down. Like we've waited a long time to see that, but it is worth it. Um, he goes off to rape someone, and his friends are like, "We should go and check on him." <laughs> so they do. <laughs> he's very clear what he's about to do. They they understand. Don't check on her. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's very clear about yeah. it. That's fine. That's part of his character. But they don't say. Ah, do you know what? We're not going to do that tonight. They're like, we should see if he's okay, <laughs> which is weird. Um, then the next bit that I loved and would like to talk about is the Lizzie's because obviously I love this lot and I was really worried when we first saw them in the subway, they were just going to be like the first girls we've met and they'd be like, oh, we're just like, quote, much normal girls and we're just on our way or whatever. But no, they're a gang and they are cool and I liked them. Um, they're quite cool. Okay. But Not cool if, enough for you. No, if the baseball furies, if your weapon's the baseball bat and then you can't use it, that's a bit rubbish. Yeah. And if the Lizzies all have guns. <laughs> <laughs> they're really not they're the only people with guns in the film and they're really not very good with them are they, they there's there's 15 of them there's three guys in the room they're locked in the room they've got the guns that's true and, also, and they lose it <laughs> you've got to use the element of surprise as well which is on their side don't give the people you've invited to your party evils all night and make them go true. hang on a second <laughs> it's not right it's yeah. a good switcheroo though it's fun it's fun watching it dawn on these it dawns on us before it dawns on the characters yeah. what's going on in it's it's fun watching the sort of light switch in their head. Yeah, because you do relate to that. They're like, look, this probably isn't quite right, but fuck it, it's a house party and we all need time to relax, so and, let's just stay. An interesting thing I read, I think the actor um, with the afro, he he's gay in real life and they didn't say that his character is gay in this, but he's the only one that doesn't get taken in by the Lizzies. Yeah. He doesn't get drawn into their sort of web of deceit and he's not, he's not interested in them. And so he's the first one that twigs and he's the one that actually saves them. You're right. It is a shame they don't get to, like, one kill like they've yeah. got an artillery <laughs> yeah or at least hit hit with one bullet an arm or something hit anything <laughs> come on Lizzie um, so then we've got Swan and Mercy walking the tunnels she's begging him to have sex with her in a subway tunnel which is so relatable <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the truth of the film is that Swan and Fox were swapped out once Fox was fired and pushed under a subway train. Uh, and the actor that plays Mercy, what's she called? Deborah von Valkenberg? That is correct. 
Thank you. She was saying, I think probably saying it just to make it seem like it wasn't like, oh, fox, fox, the fox is gone. So we, what are we going to do? She was saying that there was a lot of chemistry between her and Michael Beck. Yeah, they all say that. And you, you do wonder if that's sort of looking back with tinted spectacles. But it does feel like there's something between those two characters. I do feel... Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think... I think there's a danger when you're writing things like this of thinking that sexual repartee is just being mean. And that that's true to an extent, but he's just so awful to her constantly. But that- then I think he's particularly tender in the scene uh, when they're, they're riding the train and the youngsters get on who've just been to prom. Yeah. And there's this awkward moment where they eyeball each other and she's embarrassed. We see her feet are dirty and they're all clean and dressed in white. You sort of see how the other half live. And she she sees this girl looking pretty opposite her and she goes to fix her hair. Yeah. And he stops her and pulls her hand down. <laughs> and I think that's a really sweet moment of him saying to her, I accept you for who you are. We don't need to change for these people. We are yeah, who we are. Yeah, he's saying don't bother because you don't need to. You're fine uh, as you are. And it is. I did like that moment. I think yeah. it's just because prior to that, he's like, why don't you put a mattress on your back? Why don't you do whatever? And it's like based on... Obviously, in the in the book, I think she was a prostitute for the gang or something. Sex worker. A sex worker. But, well, I wonder if she's getting paid. So, <laughs> um, But um, in this film, if you're watching it for the first time, he has no evidence. I just, that's fine. I can be corrected. Okay. No, it's fine. I just know the glee that Chris took from that moment. Oh, well, that's on him. I mean, I can be I the bigger didn't. person. I didn't. <laughs> you're, the one that, you're the one that's taking the glee. little grin. The little grin on your face. Like, Move on. Children. <laughs> Honestly. Anyway, he doesn't have any evidence of what she does or doesn't do. And he's just constantly like, you're a slut, you're a slut. P.S. I love you. Like, whatever. I don't think it's a tender moment, though. I think it's a pride thing for him. I think that's why he stops her doing it. It's like, you know, don't embarrass us. You know, we are this thing and, you know, we are not them. So I'm not sure it's like, I like you for who you are. It's like, don't do that in front of them because that makes us seem like we're concerned about their opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good reading. There's, yeah, lots of readings. Um. So then we're back to Coney Island. <laughs> um, now, I've read this a couple of times. The first time I read it, I was crying with laughter so much. And But now I've reread it. I'm not sure it's true. right? So David Patrick Kelly is back and he's got bottles on his fingers <laughs> and he's doing the Warriors come out to play thing. <laughs> now, the quote from the article I read... I don't know. I haven't said who it is anyway. So two things. First of all, that the the Warriors come out to play the sort of lilting, scary nursery rhyme thing that David Patrick Kelly does. He said, um, I, I brought one of the codes of method acting, which is not to judge your character. I was influenced by this really bad guy I knew in downtown New York who would make fun of me and say, this is the first thing. Dave. Dave. Dave <laughs> and he said it was the creepiest thing you ever heard so we lifted it now the other I've thing heard, that- I've heard him doing it though the impression of this neighbour and it is creepy the when he, when, he, when he does it so the other thing I read he said um, one of the actors said we were in Coney Island and David Patrick Kelly picked up two dead pigeons and he had them in a bag and Walter Hill said that's not going to work so then he got bottles so in my head I was like was he going to put two dead pigeons <laughs> on his yeah that's just wait, waft these pigeons around. Do you not think on the, on the making of Doc when they're describing this this scene and and how it wasn't Walter Hill that came up with it. It was him. It was David. Um, they don't mention pigeons at all. That never comes up. I really wish it was true <laughs> that he was like, I'm going to put these two fit pigeons on my fingers, and he's like, it's too much. Would Richard the Third not have put two pigeons on his fingers? I heard you put f- yeah, pigeons exactly. up the pigeon bomb. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. That never happened. <laughs> I, I wish it I had. I mean, he's a weird dude, but not that weird. <laughs> Just, yeah. 
But yeah, like pigeon popsicles, I guess. I don't know. Just anyway, that made me laugh a lot in the week, but maybe it's not true. Uh, so then the riffs turn up. The truth comes out. It was David Patrick Kelly all along. And then they're just like, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> like, that was our fault. Sorry for hunting you across New York. Um, no one that- died, did they? <laughs> Anyone dead? Anyone in jail? No. Sorry for taunting you with a DJ across New York. Um, so, yeah, I think the thing I was expecting at this point, when they get back to Coney Island, there's a really good line in the script. I can't remember who says it. And one of them like appraises Coney Island with fresh eyes, given what they've been through. So he says something like, have we been through all this all night just for this? And I was expecting a bit more of an awakening from the gangs um, that Cyrus was trying to unite them. But maybe when they were in the Bronx, they didn't really get the point of that. And then everything kicked off. So they didn't have time to try and understand his words. And they were happy with their patch, like happy with what they've got. Then Cyrus's death prompts a literal journey at the end of which they inward realise that their patch wasn't all that to begin with. And so they're ready to like try for more, which is what Cyrus intended all along. But that's me projecting a lot onto the But no, the I, think, I think the line you, you, you're referring to is them realising what this was all pointless because we this is a shithole, Coney yeah. Island. Have you been to Coney <laughs> Island? I have not. I mean, obviously it's different now. I've been to Coney Island mm. and I went by myself. That was a mistake. Um, I got followed down the street by a man in a big car for quite a long time. And I was like, shit. Vicky. <laughs> and he had these pigeons. And I was like, that's funny as fuck. I will get in your car. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the finale is this Western standoff where, where Swan's brought a knife to a gunfight. Did you like his throw, though? His little throw into, into the arm. It was all right. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Did the job, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. It feels like a big question. Um, And that's that's it. That's the end of the film. That's all I have. Uh, You're not going to mention the uh, cracking song at the end by uh, Joe Walsh in the city. (sighs) Problematic for me. Really? Yeah. What do you you think of it? I enjoyed it, but I only know it from Rick and Morty, Tales from the Citadel. They use it in there. And I was like, oh, it's from Rick and Morty. Why? Why is it problematic? Well, not not problematic in that way, but just just for me personally, because Joe Walsh was in The Eagles. He recorded this song for the movie. The Eagles liked it. The Eagles recorded it. I feel like this film, it's got this cool electronic score, which works, but... I don't know if it's completely right for the film, but then to end it with basically an Eagles song, it should be punk. It should be something tough. It should be funk. It should be, we don't have hip hop yet, but like, I just think ending it with the white guy singing an Eagles song, (laughs) it's just the wrong way to end such a cool movie. I think that's fair. All right then. Shall we do the bits? Yeah. Uh, Alex, what was your best scene? Uh, my best scene is uh, the tube carriage scene with the posh kids. I really liked it. Mm. I thought it was really, it was a, a real moment where you're like, oof, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that moving their hair. We thought different things about it, but sure. um, but I really like that. And um, either that or the, the scene with the orphans uh, in the street. I, I really, for some reason, love the confrontation with the orphans. And the guy, I don't know his name, who plays the lead orphan, is really great. Mm. Done. What about you? Uh, Cyrus's speech. I think it's that's a guy shooting his shot. You know, he does. He only he's only got a handful of lines, but he is so charismatic that I believe that he could unite all these disparate elements just using his words. And so he's only been on screen for three minutes, maybe, and I'm absolutely devastated when he dies. <laughs> and I think that's just good writing, good acting. 
Uh, mine's the house party, the the Lizzie's house party. We do talk a lot about how hard it is to film a party, and I think they've made they have made it look fun. Like you would want to stay. I no, pers- you wouldn't. I would want to stay at that party. That thought, is a rubbish party. No, I thought it looked good. I think there's like one bottle of beer being passed round. No, is that true? I don't remember a lot of booze at that party. <laughs> I mean that yeah, that is a deal breaker. Obviously, I, I wish this had been a big enough hit that we got. A bunch of sequels, maybe following the journeys of different gangs that night. That's a good idea. I would, I would love to have have seen because you know we we meet. I think, God, what is it? Twenty two gangs. I think we hear about, but there are others around, and I just think that there's all kind kind of things that could have gone off that night. I'd love to see the rest of the Lizzie story. Yeah. Uh, your most valuable whatever, Chris? Uh, a big fan of a woman called Bobby Mannix who came up with all the costume designs for all the gangs. So a shout out to her. But for me, it's got to be David Patrick Kelly, who, like Cyrus, does a, he does a lot with a little. Um, uh, and I want to talk about him a little bit in Thursday's episode because I like to think of him as, um, in my head, he is the father of... Romero yeah. in Escape from New York. Definitely. <laughs> I see a through line such a strong between those two characters. Yeah. But yeah, I think, well, it's obviously his most famous role and I think it's his best. It's nice to see T-Bird doing something else, <laughs> is what I think. <laughs> what about you? Uh, uh, Mercy, a.k.a. Mm. Deborah Van Valkenburg. Uh, I think she's just great. Like, from the minute she enters the film, it, she changes it. That first scene, it's a hell of an entrance. And then her relationship with Swan, um, right up until the end, just adds another dynamic to what, at this point, is becoming just a running around New York, trying to escape, getting on and off trains movie. <laughs> uh, David Patrick Kelly for me, for many, many obvious reasons. And James Ramar, despite his character being awful, is freaking great as AJ. So yeah. In in the script um, and in the book, Ajax is supposed to be about seven feet tall, and James Ramar is only five foot ten. And when he came in for his audition, he actually did that scene in the park with the undercover cop. Uh, it was him doing it to Walter Hill. Is she an undercover cop? Yeah. Yes. I do, I couldn't figure out because she blows the whistle, mm. but you do, you know, a rape whistle is a thing. So she blew it. At first I was like, she's definitely a cop. And then she blew the whistle and then she has to blow it about 50 times. It's like, where are her colleagues? She's yeah. like, I'm in a situation. So I was like, oh, she can't be a cop because they would have come running. So it's just a usual but person with a rape whistle. There's 200 gangs running around New York. <laughs> so the cops are busy. <laughs> It but does he, take them a long time to turn up. Uh, but he was saying he knew that he was too small to play the role. And so he pretended he was handcuffed to the table that was between him and Walter Hill. And he and he flipped the table over because he said I was quite strong at the time. Flipped the table, got the role because he said, Give I, me a part. I said, I think Walter Hill thought I was bigger than I actually was. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he But he exudes that in this film. I would have thought he was taller than five foot ten. Like he exudes yeah. a, a size and, a, and an, a, an anger and a charisma. And mm. he's... Yeah, I tell you what else is good is Vermin, and so is it Terry Michos Mikos who plays him? Who's like the funny one? Um, yeah, he's the he's the one person of the gang where you think I would join that gang and kind of hang out with him, whereas everyone else is a little bit serious. Yeah, um, uh, Alex, if you could change one thing. Uh, I guess it'd be that the Warriors should play maybe some part in clearing their name, so it's not just like, uh, yeah, we've just worked out it wasn't you guys, so yeah on your way I think that I know it's a different movie but I think either they should have had some part in clearing their name or there should have been a better reason for David Patrick Kelly doing it like I'd have liked a bit more backstory or maybe just a bit more about these characters like the intro that was cut at the start I could think that might have helped I felt like I was watching a movie that was you know fascinating as a sort of survival very lightweight survival story but I was sort of left going as 
I could do with a bit more like to stimulate me about why these people are doing these things. With the David Patrick Kelly, though, they do ask him why he did it. And he says, no reason. I just like doing things like that. And I really felt like he was a precursor to Joker in, in the, that some people just want to watch the world burn. That's what mm. I got from that character. He just wanted to cause chaos. He saw an opportunity to kill Cyrus and he saw an opportunity to, to pin it on the warriors. Mm. Yeah. No, I see that too. I get that. What would you change? Um, it's just weird. The Fox stuff is weird because it's it's straight. We're, we're led to believe that the, the idea is that the Warriors are a gang who love each other. They're brothers. They've got this gang ethos. And then Fox dies and he never gets mentioned again, basically. And Ajax gets arrested and he never gets mentioned. And so it's just I just think it's it's strange and it doesn't feel real to me. And I think that's because of these troubles they had behind the scenes. But it doesn't hold together for me that you would lose gang members and, and no one seems to be particularly bothered yeah um mine is put the subway out of use for some crazy reason that's you know it would be hard to do but just write a way of doing it because it feels potentially too easy because when they're running from the bus the feeling is if we get on one train we've made it we'll be home so then you have to have false reasons as to why they get off the train like there's the fire and all the rest of it and then they get split up but if the subway was out of use and they had to walk home now obviously the geography might be a bit difficult but maybe don't make the meeting that far from Coney Island so they've got to walk home all night so there isn't this one escape route which if they run fast enough or, or you, they're unlucky that there's a fire on you know on all of that like if the subway's out of use if all public transport's out of use they're not unlucky about the fire no, someone another, sets the ga- fire, another yeah. gang set the fire but off but still this idea that if we do if what if we do this right we're home very early on in the film it was too easy so if you cannot get home by your tra- your traditional route if you can't get home the way you got there and you've got to walk um that's better i think but did the fire not do that in that they, they then couldn't get back on the train for till so, they were much yeah, closer yeah, yeah. to home. But then just get rid of because they they have that thing in the graveyard where they're like, Coney Island is a hundred miles away or something. And it wouldn't have been good at that point to say, and we've got no train. Yeah, I guess so. Not a hundred miles though, like you say, it'd have to be it shorter. Is, yeah, so yeah. that's a long walk for mm. one night. Yeah, you can't do that in can't one do night. That. I, don't no, think. I mean I could, but you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any more for any more? Uh-huh. Great stuff. That is the end of the Warriors. So Quiz time. I know we missed a week last week because we had a guest, but uh, are, we, are we going back to the world of quizzing? Back in the quiz, mm. back in the game. Don't pull that face. You love it, Victoria. This quiz is called Gang Related. Okay. okay. <laughs> in which book and film do the droogs appear? Clockwork Orange. Oh, oh, she's back in the game. She's smiling a little bit already. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Vicky. Vicky's in a gang, so <laughs> she's going to win this. Which gang's biggest hit started with someone saying, the hip... The, the hop, sugar hill. The hippie did the hip hip hop and you don't stop a rocket to the bang bang boogie. So jump, jump the boogie with the boogie of the boogie to be. It's like they're in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Which TV gang featured the best Hellboy and the worst King Arthur? Uh, it's a TV show. From when? From no. not long ago. And the actor who played the best Hellboy is in it and the actor who played the worst King Arthur is in it. And the name of the gang is the name of the show and it was quite a famous show. Worst King Arthur. It's the Sons of Anarchy. Oh. Who's the worst King? Oh. Mm. I had uh, a different King Arthur in my head. Sure. What's the name <laughs> of the women's gang in the musical film you both won't let me do? Oh, it's in Greece. They're called... <laughs> the Pink Ladies. Correct. See, Vicky, you gave him the... You, you were halfway there. Um, who sang that you and me, baby, aren't nothing but mammals? Oh, oh the Bloodhound Gang. Fuck! Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, which film featured a gang called the Dead Rabbits? Donnie Darko? No. Oh, shit. I know this. I don't know. Oh, it. it's going to really bug me as well. The Dead Rabbits. Oh, it's, it's been a gang to New York. It is. It's been mentioned Jeez. today. Alex has won. Do you want the tiebreaker? Who had a hit with Celebration and Get Down On It? Cool in the gang. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Alex wins 4-2. Well played, Alex. There's <laughs> a new sound. I've never done that sound before. Why are you making a train sound? <laughs> I don't know. It's the victory train and I'm on it. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, right then, uh, Victoria. Yeah. Let's look ahead to uh, next week. Obviously, we've got Thursday coming up, which is Escape from New York, but it's your pick for next week. What's your clue? <laughs> My clue well, is, this um... is... This doesn't bode well. <laughs> if you're laughing already, it means it's a shaky clue at best. No, it's not. It's a good one. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Short dick energy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'll do it again. Yep. <clears throat> Short dick energy. That's a freaking great clue. Thank you. That is, it is, really, it is it is an excellent clue. That is a great clue. <laughs> and I will add to that. Um, listen into the end next uh, week on Thursday, rather, because we've also got an announcement regarding our next mini season. <laughs> we got a mini season coming up. We have got a great clue in short dick energy. <laughs> and that is the end of this show. Please subscribe to us, rate and indeed review us if you have time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Bye bye. Back on Thursday. Escape from New York. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 